here at the Brittle Heights Presbyterian Church, uh, coming at you live from uh, the Christian Sermons and Audio YouTube channel, and so welcome to today's program. I'm going to be starting uh, to walk through the book of Nehemiah. I just preached through the book of Nehemiah, so it's a book that's been on my heart a lot lately, and I, I learned a ton uh, from being, being able to plow through it and to look at it carefully and, and closely, and, uh, and also to um, read some really good commentaries on it. Um, but I, I tell you, I can't think of a book of scripture that is more relevant uh, to the church um, today than the book of Nehemiah, just in terms of its historical circumstances and what was going on uh, in Nehemiah's day and the stuff that's going on in the church today. But I think you'll see that as we plow through the, the text of Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books of the Old Testament and, and has been for a long time. Um, it's sadly a neglected book. Um, I wrote uh, a lot of sermons on going through the book of Nehemiah not too long ago, and I'm actually almost done with editing uh, those for publication. That's there's going to be a book I'm going to self-publish on Amazon.com, uh, like some of the other books I've, I've put out there. And so I'm really excited about it. I, I've almost gotten through all the formatting and, and everything. We've just been editing and um, smoothing out some of the stuff in it and making it look look better. And I need to uh, once I'm done with it, it's uh, it's probably going to be I would think around inside of an Amazon uh, book. It's probably going to be about 200 pages long. Uh, but it's just my expositions of the uh, verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in it. I've tried to, to weave the gospel all over the place in it because the gospel's in the book of Nehemiah, especially Nehemiah 8 and 9, when they have the, the Feast of Tabernacles and they, they get together and they go over some of those great gospel promises in the Old Testament after they're convicted of their sin. But a lot of really, really important stuff. But the book of Nehemiah is also relevant today because I think the Christian church, not, not throughout the whole world. I know that the church is, is very healthy and doing well in other parts of the world, uh, South Korea and Africa and China. And there's, I know there's many other places and there's places in America where uh, Christians are thriving and are doing evangelism and are, are trying to fulfill the great commission and are being faithful in worship into the doctrines of scripture. But I think we need to acknowledge, however, that especially in the United States today, um, we're looking at a situation where the walls are in shambles, <laughs> Okay, uh, the walls around the, the city of God in the United States are in shambles. Uh, the compromise and the just the, just the pure nonsense going on today um, is just absolutely appalling uh, to even think about. Think about uh, just that that time that I was that I was in the PCA, and it was like meeting after meeting after meeting. You know, and the, even the the good presbytery I was in. What are we talking about every meeting? Sodomy. Gay, gay pastors and stuff. And it's like, why are we talking about this? This is such a waste of time. Uh, we shouldn't be talking about this. We need to be talking about doing evangelism and church planting and training men for ministry and expositing the word of God. I mean, this is an easy issue. Why is this becoming so complicated? Why is the denomination studying this? What is there to study? That's like saying we need a study committee to study stealing. We're not really sure what stealing is anymore <laughs> or something. It's just pure nonsense. And it was an incredible uh, distraction, which I'm, I'm thankful is out of my life now. But the book of Nehemiah has got a number of really good illustrations of that very kind of thing, with all the wheeling and dealing that was going on inside uh, Nehemiah's group with bad guys on the outside, and there were family connections and marriages, and that created all this comp complicated stuff. 
But the way Nehemiah addresses all of this is glorious. This guy was a soft-hearted man with, um, he had a, a velvet glove, but underneath that velvet glove was a steel fist. You know, he had a heart of gold and a backbone of steel, and he was wise, and he understood how to deal with this kind of stuff in a way that didn't take him off task. And that's the value of the book of Nehemiah. In fact, um, the my book on Nehemiah, just my sermons on Nehemiah that I'm editing for publication right now, I'm going to call the book. The, the, the title of the book is going to be Nehemiah, We Will Not Neglect the House of God. That's the title of the book. Nehemiah, We Will Not Neglect the House of God. Because that's what the people swear when they're convicted of their sins and they hear the gospel. Uh, the oath they swear is we will not neglect the house of God anymore. Why is the church in shambles? Why are the walls in shambles now um, around the Christian church? Uh, because the Christian church has been neglected primarily by its pastors who have not stood up, who have not participated in their general assemblies, who, who, who quit going because they were frustrated with this or that instead of working to try to reform and change things. And that's why we're, we're in the mess that we're in now. So I want to get right into the book of Nehemiah. I was going to pull up my sermon notes and stuff, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of wing it because um, I, I feel like I understand the, the book of Nehemiah fa fairly well, not perfectly, obviously, but um, we're just going to get right into it here. What's going on in the book of Nehemiah? If you're wondering where, you know, if, you, if you're not overly familiar with um, where that is, uh, Nehemiah is right after Second Chronicles. So you have First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, um, Ezra, Nehemiah. So after the exile, and the southern kingdom is um, destroyed by Babylon, and a lot of, of of the Jews there in the south are taken captive to Babylon. After seventy years, uh, they eventually start coming back in groups, and there are three major returns under um, Ezra, under Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Uh, the first return under Nehemiah, they come back and they start working on the temple, on rebuilding the temple. And it's not completely finished by the time they're done. Uh, but eventually, uh, they, um, they stop work because uh, people in the area started lying about them and claiming they were, trying, they were wanting to uh, regain their independence from Babylon, which of course wasn't true. But eventually, the king of, of Babylon um, tells them to stop or they're going to... Um, they're, they're going to stop them by force of arms. Okay, someone over here is asking uh, me what denomination we're in. We're in a denomination that's very small. It's called Christ Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, we were in Vanguard Presbyterian for a time. That didn't work out. Uh, but now we're in Christ Reformed Presbyterian Church, which is really small. There's five churches in it. And for the first time uh, in years, um, I've been able to focus on the Great Commission and on preaching and teaching the Bible and training men for ministry, which is what we should be doing all the time. So anyway... <clears throat> Okay, yeah, uh, Magonis over here, whoever that is, just listened to Nehemiah last night, an audio book, uh, very timely, yeah, it is, very relevant to our time, and the, it's, it's the details of the book that are really stirring and really remarkable, uh, so I just want to encourage uh, folks to read Nehemiah and uh, follow along here, so, uh, so Nehemiah eventually leads another return uh, back, uh, and his primary task was, most people think that... Um, well, his main thing was rebuilding the wall. Well, certainly that was that was part of the task, but Nehemiah had something much bigger in mind than simply the rebuilding of um, a piece of architecture, a piece of, of uh, structure. Uh, what he really was wanting was there to be safety so that he could gather everyone together uh, to hear the word of God and hopefully have a, a season of national repentance and renewal 
of their covenant and their um, desire to obey God's law and to uh, live in the land and be faithful to the Lord. And so there's some amazing stuff here. So let's go ahead and look. Nehemiah chapter 1 is a, a wonderful chapter because we see the heart of this man, Nehemiah, his heartfelt uh, tears and prayers. And so let's just dig right into it here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with me, or came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Okay, so Nehemiah is here in, in uh, Babylon, or really Persia, that wor world power had shifted from uh, Babylon to Persia during this time, but that's a, that's a long, complicated story, but just... Artaxerxes uh, is a Persian king, but it's still kind of technically Babylon, just FYI. Uh, so someone comes back, someone comes reports back to um, uh, to the citadel here, uh, and uh, had come from Jerusalem. Okay, and so um, so immediately Nehemiah wants to know, well, how's everything going over there? How how is everything going in uh, Jerusalem? Verse three, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province. Are there in great distress and reproach? The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Okay, so Nehemiah hears a bad report. He hears a bad report of what's going on uh, there in Jerusalem, and he's distressed. I think that Nehemiah was probably, as I recall from the, my studies in this, this passage, he was probably hopeful to hear, yeah, they've rebuilt the temple, and they're having worship services, and it's wonderful, and they rebuilt the wall, and, and God is really blessing them, and people are being taught the word of God, and the church is thriving, and people are being righteous and everything. But that's not what he hears. He hears everything's going bad. Okay, someone has just asked over here in a little chat thing here, is this a Torah-oriented ministry? Uh, it's a Bible-oriented ministry. Um, so we believe in the Tanakh, in the, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, uh, and the New Testament. Uh, so we believe in the whole Bible, um, and the Old Testament um, is the gospel. Uh, the New Testament has the gospel. Uh, as Paul taught in Galatians 3.8, Abraham had the gospel preached to him. Uh, Israel, in, in uh, Hebrews 4, verse 2, Israel had the gospel preached to them. And so they didn't know as much about it, but they were definitely looking forward to the coming of Christ. They were justified by faith alone and Christ alone, uh, who was to come, uh, just like we are justified by faith alone, apart from works, uh, looking to Christ who already came a couple thousand years ago. But the whole Bible is relevant uh, to our Christian lives, and we are to study the whole thing. Um, just as Paul told Timothy uh, that the Old Testament, there in 2 Timothy 3, 15, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the Old Testament bears witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Gospel, Isaiah 53, uh, it's very clear that Christ is a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. We're justified by faith in him, Genesis 15, 6. Uh, Abraham believed in Yahweh, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, so we believe in the whole Bible. So I'm not sure exactly what you mean by Torah-oriented ministry. I believe in the Torah, and I believe in the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings, as well. So, okay, back to the text here. So Nehemiah gets this really bad report and immediately listen to his response, verse 4. Here's, here's where you see the real heart of the man, verse 4. So it was, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears this news that the church there is in distress. 
Um, it says the, the, the uh, survivors of the captivity, the people that weren't killed and the ones that ha- are there, uh, they're in great distress. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. The church is in shambles. The church that's there in Jerusalem is not thriving. It's not doing well. It is in great distress and reproach. That word reproach means shame, disgrace. It was a disgrace for a city to have no walls around it. I mean, it was vulnerable to all of its attackers. Um, there's, you know, there was not safety in that place. So Nehemiah uh, fasts and prays and weeps. He hears this this terrible report, and his responses it grieves him to the depths of his soul. And now he's wanting wanting help from God. And I, and I love this the way that Nehemiah prays here. He, he weeps and cries and fasts for days. I just I just want to ask. Is there anyone that does that now for the church today? We see the mess that the church is now, and do we weep and fast? And are, are we just heartbroken over the condition of the church? That there's you know people saying they're gay who are pastors in reformed denominations, and there's all this compromise, and there's uh, women that are saying that, and, and men supporting them saying that they should be ordained to this, that, and the other kind of ministry, and all this other absurdity and rebellion and insubordination to the word of God. Do we have the same response here? Do we hear this and do we weep and mourn and fast and pray? God, give me a vision for what to do. God, help me to know what can I do to make things better. Okay, verse five. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Just break here for a moment. That Hebrew word that's translated awesome there in verse 5 really means terrible. So, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and terrible God. Meaning, terrible in his judgments. In fact, the Westminster Confession describes God as being gracious and full of compassion and merciful, yet withal most terrible in his judgments. We think because we're so used to the sin that we see in ourselves and the world around us, we just think it's a trifle, it's a little thing uh, to sin against him. It's a big deal. It's always a big deal. And God is terrible in his judgments. He says, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. So notice, he takes that sin upon himself. He, he is looking um, not only to the sins of his fathers, and he knew he was in exile, and that city was destroyed because of his father's sins. But he's also including himself, I'm a sinner too. And it's also because of my failures that we're in the mess that we are in. And so he's praying uh, that God would, would have mercy on the children of Israel, on the children of Israel, your servants. And he wants to confess his sins and the sins of his fathers. And verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. That's what the church needs to say today with all of the absurdities that it has tolerated uh, in the form of false doctrine, false gospels, uh, false doctrines of saving faith, uh, false uh, understandings of women in ministry, 
false understandings, really completely secular concepts like sexual orientation as if that's even a real thing. It's not a real thing. Um, and, and all of the chicanery and politicking and all the other garbage that's been going on in these larger ostensibly reformed denominations all this time. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. And we need to say we haven't done that either for the doctrines and the commandments and the ordinances that you commanded Jesus and the apostles, which they commanded us. And then verse 8, and here he's going to bring scripture to bear. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament here. Uh, he's quoting uh, from the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Leviticus 26, 33, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and Deuteronomy 28. Listen to how he prays. He prays scripture back to God, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8 here. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, now here's where he's citing from scripture here, from the book of Deuteronomy, Quoting to God in prayer, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Where's Nehemiah praying this? He's, he's in Babylon. Now, since world power had shifted, he's in Persia. He's the cupbearer to the king of Persia, to King Artaxerxes in Persia. So this has particular relevance to him. He's praying this. You said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Well, he's already confessed, we've been unfaithful. That's why we've been scattered to the nations. That's why I've been scattered to this nation. And then he continues quoting, verse 9, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're citing from Deuteronomy chapter 4, 25 to 27, and Deuteronomy 28, 63 to 67. And so it's very, very important that we take, take a cue from them here, from Nehemiah. This is a great way to pray. Pray the word of God back to God. You know, that's one thing I, I try to do that in my pastoral prayers here at church, when I pray for the congregation and pray for the, um, the Great Commission. Jesus said, to his disciples, in this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And I'll pray that and quote that in my prayers to God and say, Lord, you said that you would, be, you would be glorified. Not us, but you would be glorified when we bear much fruit. So Lord, would you bear that fruit through us? Bless our attempts to take the gospel to the streets out here. Bless the tracts that we, we hand out and the conversations that we have with people. Bless that and make it fruitful. Bear fruit that will last forever through us. Pray God's word back to God and see if he will not hear you. And then Nehemiah says, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cup bearer. And of course, who is this man he's praying for success in front of? That's King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah is going to make some pretty bold requests here. And so he's praying for mercy. And, and praying that he won't offend this man who will be holding Nehemiah's life in his hands, Artaxerxes, when he makes these requests. But Nehemiah hears this report. The church back there in Jerusalem is in shambles. The wall's broken down. Your servants are in great reproach. God's servants are in great reproach. 
They're not getting together. They're not worshiping. Work on the temple has stopped. If you look back at Ezra uh, 2, 3, and 4, uh, they were threatened by force of arms to stop working. If you guys keep doing this, we're going to use military force to stop you. So they get afraid and they stop. So Nehemiah is determined to fix this. And this is what we need today. This is what we need today. We need men who are willing to say, who, are, who want to say, we're not going to spend our time um, sitting at, ta- at tables negotiating with traders and turncoats. We're not going to spend our time doing things like that. And that's what Nehemiah does later. Later on in the, in the narrative here, you've got all these people plotting against him, people plotting to murder him. And we just want to sit down and talk. Nehemiah, we want to sit down and talk. We just want to talk. Let's talk. And Nehemiah ignores them. And eventually Nehemiah says, no, I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing a great work. Why should I meet with you? I love the way Nehemiah handles all that. He never sits down with any of them. He tells them all to go fly a kite. And because of that, he is able to complete that wall in 52 days. And I just, I just want to, you know, spoiler alerts here. I just want to kind of, you know, I just want to limit this to the first chapter. But I just want to tell you, Nehemiah was able to complete that task in 52 days. Listen to me, please. Because he didn't let the bad guys distract him from it. That's why he did it. They wanted to say, we need to have a study committee on this or that. Some dumb issue that there's no reason to study. I mean, the parallels that I, that I see in the book of Nehemiah to the nonsense going on today in Reformed denominations are, are astounding. And Nehemiah is able, by the grace of God, to complete the wall, to gather together all these people, to hear the word of God, and a great revival happens. People are weeping and are convicted of their sins, and they are the ones who say to Ezra and the Levites, bring us the law of Moses. We want to hear the law of Moses. And it says that they were attentive to the reading. Why, why did they get to that point? Why did they get to have this national worship service where all these people are hearing God's word? Because Nehemiah would not let the bad guys, the wolves, the pigs and the swine and the dogs distract him from his task. I say that as someone who has been distracted and pulled off task many times by dogs and pigs and swine. And that's what Jesus calls them in Matthew 7 verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine as they'll turn and tear you in pieces. Who, who were these people? Sanballat. The Horonites, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, Geshem, and then there's eventually there's another guy, I can't recall his name, a false prophet for hire. I think it's Shemiah, I think was his name. These are pigs, these are dogs, these are really wicked, evil, bad people. And if Nehemiah had gone to talk to them, he could have ended up killed. They sent threatening letters, they, they spread rumors and lies and slander about Nehemiah. And what is Nehemiah's reaction? Does he get discouraged and slink off into a corner? Woe is me. No, he just keeps working. He keeps working. And to me, I'll tell you, one of the most iconic passages um, in the whole Bible uh, that was just glorious to see. It was really wonderful um, to see. Confidence. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Listen to this. Okay, at the end of, of Nehemiah chapter 5, you know, the wall is, is um, 
completed, and there's all this other chicanery and silliness that, that starts happening here. Let me find um, this. There's all kinds of bad stuff that happens inside uh, the, the community. They start you know, exacting usury from one another. There's uh, Jewish brethren that are trying to make money off the hardship of the people. They weren't able to, to like really attend to their crops and things like that. They spent so much time working on the wall. And so they started exploiting each other. So there was, really? So the church, inside the church, they were hurting each other? Yeah, that's not, that's not unique to our age. God's people have hurt each other very often by being selfish and, and by, by mistreating one another and not being kind to each other. That happened in, in Nehemiah's time. He got, was threatened from without. You know, his enemies were making fun of him. Yeah, if a fox jumps up on that wall, it's going to knock it down. Hardy, har, har. And they were mocking and making fun of them and threatening them. We're going to stir up everyone. They're all going to come after you. And there's that great passage in Nehemiah 4. They have a sword in one hand and a, a trowel in the other, a, a mason tool in the other. So they're, they're ready for combat, but they're also working. That's kind of what, that's the whole Christian life. We're ready to go to war, but we're also... Uh, working on the kingdom of God. We, we have to fight theological battles and wars and and hold back the wolves that arise in our midst and they will arise in your midst. You got to deal with all that stuff. But listen to this. Listen to this. Nehemiah uh, chapter 6. They eventually are able to complete the wall. Okay? They complete the wall and these officials are all upset about it. But listen to what happens. Verse 16 of Nehemiah chapter 6. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, meaning they heard the wall was done, that in 52 days they completed this task. And they had a good, sturdy, intimidating wall around the city. Verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. If Nehemiah had started meeting with Tobiah and Sambalat and Geshem and all of his enemies... That wouldn't have happened in 52 days. That wouldn't have happened in 52 days. Maybe 52 years. Maybe 10 years. Maybe 6 years. 52 days. With all this opposition. Because Nehemiah handled it correctly. And he knew who his friends were. And he knew who his enemies were. He knew the Christ. And he knew the Antichrist. He knew who was not worth talking to. And that, that's just so judgmental. It's so mean. We have to judge people like that sometimes. What do we think? That all those descriptions in scripture of bad people, well, that was just way back then. No, no, no. They're still bad people now. Diotrephes will sometimes arise in your church. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, prodding against us constantly with malicious words. Really? You're going to have Diotrephes in your church? Oh, yeah, you will. You're going to have Demas. You're going to have Hermogenes and Phagellus. And you're going to have... Alexander the coppersmith? Yeah. Oh, sure. And you got to deal with them swiftly. And you've got to be decisive. Yeah, but they might try to hurt us and lie about us. Yeah, they'll do that too. Didn't it happen to Nehemiah? Why would we think it's not going to happen to us? So they completed the wall in 52 days because Nehemiah was wise. And he understood how to deal with this stuff. He knew who he should ignore. He knew who he should ignore. He knew who was not worth talking to. And that's not mean. That's being wise. So he completed his task. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard it, Nehemiah 6, 16, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. 
Really? So Tobiah, with all his letters, and Sambalat, with all the threats and the plots and the threats of combat and everything else, they lost their confidence. You know what the Hebrew says there? It says they fell greatly in their own eyes. Even they were shocked. They lost confidence because Nehemiah wouldn't be distracted. You know, that's been one of one of my own personal issues throughout the 21 years I've been a pastor. I'm not going to be distracted by Sambalat, the Horonite. And I'm not going to be distracted by Tobiah, the Ammonite official. I don't care if he's a pastor. I'm not going to be distracted from the task at hand. I'm going to stay focused. Great Commission, exposition of scripture, preach and teach the word, run up your reformed distinctives. Well, reformed distinctives. Run up Christianity up the flagpole so the whole world can see it with God's sovereignty, because that's taught from front to back in the Bible, and the doctrines of God's sovereign grace and the gospel of justification by faith alone. And don't be taken off of that task. Don't be taken off of it. Don't be distracted by it. Okay? And I'll tell you, you can't play games with the dogs and the swine. All right? Very important. They fell greatly in their own eyes, it says there. I was looking at the Hebrew there, and I thought, lost confidence. I don't think, I bet you that's more, a little more uh, clear than that. And I was looking at the Hebrew as I was preaching through that section of uh, Nehemiah 6. And it says, they fell greatly in their own eyes. Which, yeah, they lost confidence. But they perceived. This wall that's here, their God helped them do it. Oh, if only the church would stiff arm all of the distractions and stay focused on the exposition of the Bible and the exposition of the gospel and the proclamation of Christ and him crucified and preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God and applying it to all of life, our enemies would lose confidence in their own eyes too. They would fall greatly in their own eyes too because they would perceive that God is on our side. But when we take up thousands, tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to study, well, is it okay for a, an ordained minister to say he's gay? That is a foolish question. In fact, when the, when the PCA was doing that, we actually sent out a prayer request to our church. We encouraged the congregation, pray that the PCA will not study this issue. Because there's nothing to study. That's like saying, we want to study the number of biological sexes that there are. We need to have a, you know, a long paper on bi- the number of biological sexes. Why in the world would you need to study that? The created order itself tells you. It's right there in scripture. He made them male and female. There's two. Yeah, but, but we want to be sensitive to this. No, you're not being sensitive. You're being a fool. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to study. And it's just a classic case. It's a classic example of the Christian church in America being a bunch of followers instead of leaders. Those issues could have been addressed in a sentence. One sentence. There's no such thing as sexual orientation. Next. Next subject. Let's get back to how we're trying to do evangelism. Let's get back to how we're training ministers for uh, church planting. Let's get back to those issues. Let's get back to working on our marriages. Let's get back to uh, becoming more Christ-like. Not answering silly questions that that need no answer because it's plain as the nose on my face. Okay, so Nehemiah, book of Nehemiah. I'm going to enjoy this. In fact, I think um, I'm going to devote one or two days a week. I've been going through Romans on on my YouTube channel. It's also here on Rich's channel. 
um, just a few verses at a time, trying to do some shorter podcasting. Um, but uh, I'm going to cut the program a little bit short today because I'm preparing for a wedding. Uh, one of my children is getting married Saturday, and the rehearsal dinner is tomorrow, and it's going to be a great time. I'm just as delighted and pleased as I could be uh, about it. Uh, my son uh, is marrying a really, really wonderful, uh, godly woman, and I just couldn't be happier. God has truly smiled on uh, me and my family, and, and we've needed a smile <laughs> from God. <laughs> So this is a real victory, a real, a real blessing. But so I covet your prayers. Pray that that will go well for us um, over the next couple of days. And I'm gonna go ahead and stop there. So we completed Nehemiah chapter one, and I'll be pressing on in Nehemiah a few verses at a time in uh, in coming programs. But thank you all for watching or for listening. Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.